Good afternoon. This is KUAF, your public radio station, and this is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellums. This hour, we go onto the court for wheelchair rugby. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth has that story. Plus, the Arkansas legislature is advancing its plan for resetting the state's congressional districts. Now we wait for the Board of Apportionment to complete new state legislative districts. Conversations about both later on today's show. Active cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas continue to drop. Yesterday's report from the Arkansas Department of Health has 707 fewer active cases than this time yesterday. There were 217 new cases reported in the most recent 24 hours of testing. Another 12 deaths added to the state's list of fatal cases of coronavirus. Hospitalizations dropped by three patients in the last 24 hours. A federal judge is denying a prison health care provider's request to dismiss a lawsuit alleging the company failed to keep Arkansas inmates safe from contracting COVID-19. The American Civil Liberties Union said in a news release yesterday that U.S. District Judge Christine Baker denied the motion to dismiss the claims against Tennessee-based WellPath. The company, which is the medical provider for the Arkansas Department of Corrections, is accused by 17 incarcerated plaintiffs of not implementing proper COVID-19 prevention procedures. More than 12,000 prison inmates in the state have tested positive for the virus since the start of the pandemic. The first African-American scholarship football player in University of Arkansas history will be recognized with a plaque in the Difference Makers Plaza near Razorback Reynolds Stadium. The plaque honoring John Richardson will be dedicated at 945 Saturday morning as the 2021 football team prepares for a homecoming game against Auburn. Richardson first came to the University of Arkansas campus in 1969. The Arkansas State Fair begins later this week. The annual event, which draws thousands of people to the fairgrounds in Little Rock, was canceled last year because of the pandemic. Anne-Marie Doremus is interim general manager for the Arkansas State Fair and Livestock Association. She says she expects strong attendance at this year's event, which opens Friday. Fairs uh, from Canada all the way down to Arkansas. Let's see the State Fair in Oklahoma actually happened last week, and I know that they had really spectacular attendance. But uh, people are seeing record years, so hopefully we'll have one of those too, and hopefully the weather will cooperate. The National Weather Forecast says rain is possible on Friday, but sunny days and clear nights forecast for the rest of the weekend, along with cooler temperatures. In 2015, the Arkansas State Fair set an attendance record with just over 473,000 people attending. is Ozarks at Large. For people with disabilities, finding activities and sports that can accommodate them in Northwest Arkansas can be challenging. Now, an online platform is hoping to connect more athletes with disabilities to opportunities in the region. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth reports. It's a Wednesday night and Sean Kent straps into a wheelchair at one of the basketball courts at the Springdale Recreation Center. Kent, who is quadriplegic, is the founder of the Ozark Adaptive Sports Association, or OZASA. Each Wednesday night, he puts on pickup games and trainings for wheelchair rugby and basketball with a rotating group of other athletes, both with and without disabilities. There you go. Uh, last week we had 12 
Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, we got a student that pops in. Kent broke his neck during a diving accident in 2011 when he was 25, and he says sports were a vital part of his recovery. I got into sports right away after rehab. I, I play wheelchair rugby, and in 2018, we moved down here, and there's no adaptive sports. So after talking with uh, other people with disabilities and you know seeing that one kid's driving to Oklahoma City to play basketball. I'm driving to Kansas City to play rugby. Uh, that's when I went through the process of getting the nonprofit papers and getting this rolling. In 2019, he founded Ozasa. The organization aims to provide inclusive sports and activities in the area. But it's still just one of only a handful of sports programs in northwest Arkansas that cater to people with disabilities. Network-wise, it's just hard to get the word out to the people that need it because of HIPAA and they can't tell you who they are or where they are. I'm trying every idea I can think of, like dropping brochures off at every medical vendor I can find, the two inpatient, the only two inpatient rehabs in the area, outpatient rehabs, because what's kind of, what's really challenging is if you have a spinal, if you have a spinal cord injury here, they actually send you either to Little Rock or Denver or Atlanta or Chicago or Houston. So you're sent out of state to do your rehab, then they say, good luck when you get home. And if people don't know what they're looking for, they they don't find it. But another organization is trying to help fix that knowledge gap. Arkansas has kind of, as any almost any place in the world has the same problem of uh, lack of awareness about inclusive activities and lack of support, I mean, informational support of these organizations. So this is like natural <laughs> thing to happen. That's Olga Hochrakova. She's the founder of Same Sport, a database that helps connect people with disabilities to sports programs or activities that accommodate different levels of mobility. Hochrakova, a Moscow native, came up with the idea after seeing the Paralympic Games in Sochi in 2014. And this actually was the starting point of my changing my perceptions about disabilities because I saw that this is the same sport, and this is the name of the project as well. So I really saw the same atmosphere, the same excitement, the same athletes, like nothing is different. So at this point, after Paralympic Games, I started to think about, well, there are so many, maybe there are so many different types of sports, so I want to know more. And I got to the conclusion, just starting looking for organizations in Moscow, where I'm from, uh, that there are really a lot of them. But the problem is that most of them, they don't have enough um, resources, which I mean time or skills or money to promote themselves. So this was the the basic idea to connect them um, via this, let's say, database where I collected information. So after creating the network in her home city of Moscow, the former journalist moved from the city of 13 million to Fayetteville in 2019 as a Fulbright scholar to pursue a master's degree in community health promotions at the University of Arkansas. That's when she submitted an Arkansas-based version of her organization as a project for the Clinton Global Initiative University and got accepted. She says that helped get her project off the ground and find some funding to start a network here in northwest Arkansas. And she says despite the small number of adaptive sports options right now, 
She says there are certainly people in the region who want and need this type of support. So there are not a lot of them, uh, but this is something I really hope if we get same sport really rolling, that we will be able to contribute to this as well. So if we support informationally, support local organizations, not a lot of them, but they exist, then maybe more people will start also their organizations. So just to, you know, start this, um, just to start this 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 uh, stone to make it roll. And then I hope there will be more people doing and starting organizations and um, this, this is actually one of the goals of Sinsport as well. And Hochrakova says another barrier beyond knowledge is transportation. Unlike Moscow, where public transit is ubiquitous, getting around in Fayetteville and throughout northwest Arkansas can be a slog for someone with a disability. And in general, um, well, I lived in Fayetteville. You have to have you have to have a car <laughs> to, to to move. So those people who cannot drive or who cannot have a car, they are very limited. And Kent agrees that transportation is a major challenge, but he adds a lack of resources in the area is also another barrier. We we lucked out with Springdale. When when I was first starting Ozark Adaptive Sports, you know, I went to Benville's Rec Center, Rogers Rec Center, the Jones Center. Fayetteville doesn't have a rec center. Or Bentonville and Jones Center only have one basketball court. So I would be fighting all the time to try to get court time. He says the long-term goal for his organization is to build a facility specifically designed for adaptive sports. Created where, you know, somebody can come in with a disability and basically almost feel independent in it with workout equipment and activities that we can offer. Uh, to, to get to that point right now are, are the big three, you know, butts and chairs, sponsors, investors, and sustainable fundraising. And Hochrakova, who is able-bodied, says the mission of Same Sport is to make the sports ecosystem in the area more inclusive and hopefully find ways to address issues like transportation more people know about the sports, like, for example, people without disabilities knowing about the existence of these types of sports and maybe even trying them, inclusive sports. I hope and I believe that in collaboration, in partnerships with probably other organizations, maybe someone else would be addressing this problem and together we can, you know, have a complex approach to this. Back at the basketball court in Springdale, one of the regulars, Daryl Coit, a special education teacher at Woodland Junior High, who uses a wheelchair, says he believes sports can have a profound impact for someone with a disability. I said for me, first and foremost, it brought me to reality I could do too much more than I had my preconceived notion that I would have been able to do. It allowed me to build a more fuller, productive life, you know, opening up possibilities I didn't think existed. And Hokrakova says she hopes Same Sport will help more people in Northwest Arkansas discover the transformative power of sports. Something that unites people. Um, you know, I was talking to one of the girls, uh, and she, she, she was, uh, I don't know, maybe 18, 20 years. She was very young. And she said, well, when I do sports, I just feel it's like a language. I don't need to to, you know, create topics to talk about, to, to think what to say. We just play together and, well, this is our language. We understand each other and there is no awkward, you know, moments of silence. You're just doing activities together. For Ozarks at Large, 
I'm Daniel Carruth. Just ahead, a conversation from last week's Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas's annual conference. Arkansas Secretary of State John Thurston and Kamara Seals, the policy director with Arkansas Public Policy Panel, talked with me about the process and importance of legislative redistricting in Arkansas and representation for all Arkansans. Highlights from that HWOA conference session in about three minutes. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Central EMS offers a paramedic ambulance membership plan available to most residents of Washington County. This plan helps members avoid out-of-pocket ambulance expenses with proceeds supporting the organization's mission to provide life-saving care to local communities. More information available at centralems.org slash membership. The University of Arkansas will use a $4.4 million award from the U.S. Office of Naval Research to develop advanced infrared sensors. Three U of A researchers will collaborate with the Navy Surface Warfare Research Center, Crane Division, and Arctonics, a local company, on the project. The work is toward a superior and less expensive infrared camera. I'm Scott Tong. When someone is grieving a friend or family member, they may be more likely to get sick. But there isn't much formal support in this country to address these health impacts. If we don't, as a culture, understand that people suffer when they lose someone, we're not going to solve this problem. Bereavement and public health, next time on Here and Now. Here and Now begins this afternoon at 1 on KUAF and can be found streaming live on the KUAF app and at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Ahead this hour, John Brummett and Roby Brock spend part of their weekly conversation about politics discussing the new legislative districts passed by the Arkansas legislature last week and if that new map will be challenging court. They'll be with us in about 20 minutes. There is still more post-census redistricting to come in Arkansas. The state's legislative districts have to be redrawn in regard to the population shifts of the last 10 years. The Board of Apportionment Governor Asa Hutchinson, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge, and Secretary of State John Thurston are required to configure new maps for the legislative districts represented in the State House and the State Senate. Last week, the redistricting process was part of the conversation between Secretary Thurston and Kamara Seals, Policy Director for Arkansas Public Policy Panel. That conversation was part of the annual Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas's annual conference. I moderated the virtual discussion. I was in my office, Ms. Seals in Pine Bluff, Secretary Thurston in Little Rock. Two legislators had been scheduled to join the conversation but couldn't when the extended session of the legislature spilled over into Friday. Secretary Thurston told us the new state legislative maps should be ready for public inspection soon. We hope to be complete on our end, the Board of Apportionment, uh, before this month is up. Um, each member, this is how we're, we're, we're doing it, each member, uh, I guess, went to their corners and began drawing maps that made sense to them. Uh, I met with virtually every legislature uh, during the session and we're continuing to meet with them uh, to kind of get an idea on what their district looks like because they know their district better than I do. And we met with probably 130 of the 135 uh, legislatures to get their input. But I will add this since um, folks are probably very interested in uh, is there going to be a minority majority Hispanic uh, uh, district at the state level. And there is, at least I'm fighting for it, there is going to be a Hispanic 
majority minority, minority uh, district in the Springdale area. It, it'll, it'll be the first time in state history that there will be a, uh, if, if we get it, and I think, I think, I believe the governor and AG are, are for it. Um, it'll be the first time in, in state history that there has been a certified uh, minority, majority Hispanic district. And uh, the, 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 the way we drew it, it's about a 68% Hispanic in that particular uh, state house district. Well, yeah, and I, I think we'll have some questions for this. Uh, Commander, yeah, Seals, <laughs> Commander Seals, I want to ask you, as policy director at Arkansas Public Policy Panel, what do you keep an eye on when it comes to this redistricting, and, and what is important for you about this process? Right. Well, our organization is working uh, on redistricting. We have our own plan, uh, and what we do uh, is educate. We, uh, we're real big on educating our members uh, our constituents, uh, and the general public. Uh, so far, we have had two uh, public webinars that, and when I say public, they were uh, streamed on Facebook, Facebook Live, uh, talking about the process uh, in depth. We have uh, hired an uh, expert or contracted, I'm sorry, we've contracted with someone who gets into the weeds of it. We started out doing uh, redistricting 101 just so that the general public could understand because it's it's like, you know, like uh, Secretary Thurston said, it's once every 10 years. So it's not on people's, it's not at the top of people's radar. It's not priority for, for a lot of average citizens who aren't doing this work, right? And so, but we try to talk about the importance of being engaged. Uh, we talk about the importance of the, the public comments section. Uh, when the Board of Apportionment toured the state of Arkansas, we sent out uh, to, to our database, people in those areas, letting them know they were coming and to go attend uh, and, and make public comments. So we've released a video on how that process works. Uh, we've done uh, these webinars. We've got three more to go. And so we're very, the Arkansas Public Policy Panel is very engaged in educating and encouraging people uh, to be a part of the process through, through the uh, open comment section. Now we're watching, uh, you asked about what we were watching. We're certainly watching uh, the, the maps uh, because, you know, obviously you don't want the gerrymandering. So, you know, we're looking at that, um, uh, keep communities of interest, keeping communities of interest intact. Uh, we don't want communities of interest diluted uh, to, you know, to dilute that voting strength of uh, that community. So those are the things we're looking at and educating our members and encouraging them to uh, be a part of the public comments. Now, I don't know if public comments is still open uh, at this time. H have they closed, Secretary Thurston? Well, they will open up again. Once we're complete, once the map, um, once we release the map that we voted on, there is, yeah. there's a 30 day public comment period once again uh, and I'll, I'll give the, the uh, website uh, at the appropriate time whenever okay. 
he's ready for that. So okay, great. But yeah, so so we even have, like I said, we have a workshop that gets into the weeds of it, and we are preparing. Uh, maps that the Arkansas Public Policy Panel will submit for consideration or will, you know, will have. So, so we are very engaged, uh, you know, in that, in that process. And, and Secretary Thurston, I think you touched on this, but one of the, one of the things you have to do, right, is balance population in the legislative districts. Yes, sir. So let me give some numbers for, for everyone. Arkansas grew, uh, my population about a hundred thousand, so we're at three million eleven thousand five hundred and twenty-four. That's that's according to the census. Now we know it's probably a little bit more because not everyone fills out uh, the census. But according to the census, we grew over the past ten years by a hundred thousand. Uh, a house seat this will will consist of around thirty thousand one hundred and fifteen, and a Senate seat. Uh, will be 86,044. That's that's how what the population would will have to be to make up one of those districts. So Northwest has grown. We all know that. The Delta in South Arkansas uh, has lost population. So geographically, the districts in those regions, the Delta and uh, South Arkansas will grow. Uh, Northwest Arkansas will pick up one more senator. When I say Northwest, I kind of count Benton and Washington County. I consider that uh, where the growth is. And uh, it looks like maybe three rep districts. So drawing districts where population has grown is not near as challenging as it is where population has lost uh, because, uh, you know, the lines begin to inch and, and, and incumbents will more than likely have to run against another incumbent. And so it becomes very challenging uh, when there's loss in population, but definitely a population shift. Kamara, you, you touched on, you don't want uh, communities divided. I, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into that um, and, and, and why that is a concern. When, when you look at uh, communities of interest, uh, you you look at groups, you know, you have, uh, you know, like your, your Hispanic groups, your African-American groups. Uh, we don't want our voting strength diluted. Uh, and, and, and just for a quick example, I was looking at the, and, and, and I know we're talking about state, but let me look at the, the congressional that, that the legislator has, has approved out. You know, I was looking at one of those maps and they had uh, Pulaski County divided into like three sections, if I'm not, three congressional districts, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, and and of course, I don't know exactly how the lines went. I didn't get that detailed. Uh, but, but what that did, uh, based upon me listening to the commentary, was the way they did it diluted uh, African-American voting strength. You know, we are a community of interest. The Hispanic community is a community of interest, you know, uh, and there are plenty others, but, but we are, uh, you know, we have uh, often like um, beliefs and values and things like that. So, uh, you know, you don't want to dilute those uh, and it just becomes problematic when uh, legislators thinks it's okay to do that. You know, uh, in Arkansas, there was no reason 
for any county to be separated or, or redistrict that way. Uh, you know, and and um, you know, it's it's just frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating, you know, uh, when when that happens. But uh, I do live in South Arkansas, so I live in an area, uh, Secretary Thurston, where we've lost population. You know, we lost a lot of population in Pine Bluff, and uh, so I'm concerned how that's going to look. And and when that happens, you know, we lose representation. You know, uh, like I say, hopefully we won't, but we may. And so that's just just you know what happens in redistricting. But yeah, that's kind of what I mean when I say communities. Uh, communities of interest. You mentioned that you go to your metaphorical corners, you, the governor and Attorney General Rutledge. When you come back together and I don't know if you physically overlay the maps that you've come up with, then you you have and you say by the hopefully by the end of the month, you have those districts. What do you expect? To, what would you like to hear from the three million plus uh, population of Arkansas when they look at these maps? Well, I hope I hope they're pleased. I mean, I, I know I know it's impossible to um, you know please everyone, but I hope it's something reasonable and makes sense. I mean that that's that's the goal. And Miss um, uh, Seals, it, she's right. When you begin diluting minority uh, areas or communities, uh, and they don't have uh, representation, uh, uh, you know, fair representation. If you could have just moved the line a mile over and picked up another, uh, you know, group of, of minorities to give them a potential shot at a district, uh, those, those, those particular districts will be challenged in court. I mean, there, there's, uh, when you start, uh, that's the one thing that is challenged the most in court is when uh, minorities uh, could, could potentially have a district and it's drawn in such a way where there's no way for them to uh, have representation uh, from their community. So it'll be interesting to see how the uh, those congressional districts are challenged. And I, I'm sure they will be if, if uh, I guess it'll go to the governor's desk and we'll see. So I, I wanted to make sure I covered, let me, let me get the website in. So if everyone can put their pen or pencil. So the board of apportionment website is Arkansas, redistricting.org. Uh, just want to make sure everyone has that uh, for their... And one of the challenging things, just real quick, when you talk about, you know, you mentioned Pine Bluff and you mentioned South Arkansas. The population loss is not just a particular uh, demographic, you know, or, or, or folks. Um, it was, it was, every, you know, it was overall. So it's, we're being challenged to, and, and you can look at the numbers, you know, yourself and, and see it's challenging to even to hang on some of the minority majority districts in some of those areas because everyone uh, left. It wasn't just one particular group of folks. So uh, as those districts grow, they even could creep into uh, a different, I mean, I say white folks and black folks. Can, can, I, can, can I, you know, would creep over maybe into some white folks community and then potentially dilute what used to be a minority majority district 
And, uh, but I, I will tell you this, the governor and AG and myself, I mean, our goal is not to decrease minority majority districts in the state of Arkansas. There, that is absolutely not uh, our goal for sure. And I'm glad to hear that, Secretary Thurston, um, because one of the things I want to say here is representation matters. You know, it matters. We have to be represented, our communities, uh, you know, the Hispanic communities, um, you know, the African-American communities. We have to be represented. Our voices must be heard uh, because if we're not at the table, nobody's representing our interests. And you know we see that time and time again at the legislature, and and I really regret our two legislators could not be here today because I really wanted to get into some of those conversations because uh, I know a few of those bills they were going to talk about I testified against. <laughs> uh, but we have you know our voices have to be at the table and we have to be represented, and and when you dilute our voting strength, uh, it's just. You know, it's just not a good thing. Uh, and I'm in um, a, a, a lawsuit now against the state of Arkansas with how our Supreme Court, Arkansas Supreme Court justices are elected. You know, uh, the African-American community, the Hispanic community will never have a chance to elect uh, uh, a justice because of the way the process is. It's statewide. All of the justices are elected statewide. And so we're fighting for districts. And, and so, uh, and, and that's because representation matters. You know, uh, there had to be a lawsuit at the court of appeals level uh, for that to happen. And, and uh, but even there, we need another district because we only have, of the 12, we have one uh, that's an African-American, you know, we don't have a Hispanic. Um, uh, so yeah, representation matters at every level, regardless to whether it's government or dealing with economic development or, or whatever you're dealing with, representation matters. Come here, I want to touch on that a little bit, not to suggest that any group of voters that looks similarly is monolithic, right? Not every African-American. Right. Right. No, no, right. no, 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 no. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank but, you for clarifying that. <laughs> but, but there is importance here because I think I can only speak for Northwest Arkansas where I live. Very few of the, the governmental bodies, be it school board or quorum court or city council, look proportionately like the population, especially when you compare right. the 2020 census to the 2010. And is... You know, that's important as well, despite whether you have a D, an R, or an I uh, by your voting record. Right. Yeah, that, that is, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, no, we are not, no, we are not monolithic communities by, by no stretch of the imagination, uh, but we do share a lot of values. You know, we share values and, um, and, and so that, but, and that means something, you know, that means something, but when, when uh, you know, I went to the legislature and spoke spoke out on the uh, hate crimes bill. Uh, you know, the bill that they passed um, was not the best. Was not the best bill. Let's put it that way. It you know, there were a lot of. It was very problematic. And at the end of the day, 
it really wasn't a hate crimes bill, <laughs> you know? And, and so there was so much content, context left out that they didn't even list uh, the groups that are historically uh, profiled or, or hate crimes are committed against, you know? So, so, but yeah, no, we're not monolithic by no stretch of the imagination, but there are values in, that we share that, you know, you know, we want to keep those voting blocks together so that we can have the strength, um, you know, at the ballot box. That's the bottom line. Kamara Seals is policy director for the Arkansas Public Policy Panel. We also heard from Arkansas Secretary of State John Thurston. They joined me for a virtual discussion that was part of last Friday's Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas's annual conference. We'll hear more from the conference later this week on Ozarks at Large. Hey, it's Rachel Martin. As any home cook knows, making complicated recipes can be fun and rewarding. But sometimes, things as simple as scrambled eggs are the hardest to get just right. The news is the same way. At Morning Edition from NPR News, we do complicated reporting well. But we really pride ourselves on the everyday reporting that you need, too. So stick with the news well done. Listen every day. And thank you for listening and interacting with Ozarks at Large. You can hear past shows by going to ozarksatlarge.com, by accessing the KUAF app, and if you are unable to be with us exactly at noon or 7 p.m. each weekday, you can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large and hear the most recent edition of our program instantly. And right now, let's pause just a moment to listen to the Ozarks. This weekend, Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore took a hike to visit the Kohler Mountain Bike Preserve, which includes the secluded and scenic airship coffee location only accessible by trail. He collected some sound of the natural waterway that's alongside the trail, as well as the bustle of the Sunday morning coffee shop. Sunday morning creeks and coffee. This is Ozarks at Large. KUAF is supported by Mockingbird Kitchen, locally owned and operated with indoor dining and curbside pickup Wednesday through Sunday. Modern Ozark dishes, local brews, spirits, and online ordering available. Following COVID safety procedures, MockingbirdKitchen.com for more information. KUAF is supported by Merton's Eye and Optical, a full-service eyewear boutique in Fayetteville offering comprehensive eye exams, contact lenses, and a thoughtfully curated collection of luxury eyewear and sunglasses. More information on services and exclusive eyewear lines at mertonseye.com. Last week, the Arkansas legislature ended the extended part of the 2021 session. Formal adjournment is scheduled for this week. The end came after discussing COVID-19 rules and agreeing on a new map for distributing voters among the state's four congressional districts. The new map splits two of Arkansas's most populated and most diverse counties into two different districts. Sebastian is split into the third and fourth, while Pulaski County is split into the first, second, and fourth. This week, John Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics, review the extended session. 
John Brummett says while the new congressional map has critics, he doesn't think the National Democratic Party will become involved in any litigation. I'm told, and it's understandable, that the National Democratic Party <clears throat> is not going to show any particular interest in any injustice toward Democrats or minorities that might be occurring in Pulaski County because they need to save their resources for places where, a, where litigation would save a seat for Democrats or give them a better chance to win a seat. I think you and I would agree if the National Democrats asked us, uh, we, could, we could get this undone in court. What, do we gain the second district seat? No, we've been down that road and, and that wouldn't happen. So I, I don't think we're gonna see any involvement from them. I saw Grant Tennille, the new state chairman, saying the state party is interested in helping whatever happens. There are national groups on the liberal democratic side, Eric, Hol Eric Holder and another one, uh, that do these kinds of things. And that uh, I expect, uh, I know they're both looking at it and the chances are pretty good that one of them will come in here and do a, and do a lawsuit about the uh, dilution of African-American and Hispanic minority vote because Lasky County is having, <clears throat> excuse me, two slivers taken out. One on the east side's going to the first, one on the south side's going to the fourth. Both are majority minority uh, when you counting African-Americans and Hispanic voters. And not only are you taking those away from uh, the rest of, of that population in the second district, you're then splitting that population twice. I think there, I think there's a lawsuit there, and we're there's a chance, probably a better than 50-50 chance, that uh, litigation will ensue. And you will also you see in the first district an inclusion, I think, of some Cleveland County voters that are traditionally more white and Republican. So that's I think going to add to that argument. Uh, as I think so. I think so. So you just made the argument a little better by having a broader perspective than I brought to the point. Thank you for that. Just adding another layer of fact in there. So we'll see where it is in court. So the session overall also uh, dealt with a lot of COVID-19 related issues. Some perhaps remain, some not remain. Do we think we may see litigation as a result of those, assuming that Governor Hutchinson signs them into law, at least at what's his desk? I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, having become numb to the whole thing, I'm not sure how many bills passed, I think whatever passed that uh, that sort of uh, interposed the state to try to nullify or limit the application of federal uh, vaccine regulations. Uh, it, I don't think it even got the emergency clause. So there's a 90 day period. And I think a lot of that then will have to do with with uh, what the how the landscape looks in 90 days regarding the virus and whether everything is settled in or whether it hasn't. Uh, so so, you know, it was, I think it's probably going to wind up more right-wing extremist grandstanding than, than uh, relevance, I, I think. But uh, uh, we will, uh, and, and I certainly hope that's the case. And I was encouraged. I, was, I think there was an important moment. When uh, Ballinger's bill gets out of the Senate, goes to the House on the last day, and uh, they usually... Uh, meek, uninvolved, attached speaker who doesn't vote and just tries to facilitate and keep everything moving happily, Matthew Shepard, came down and, and, and said, this is a bad bill. This is a destructive bill in terms of health, in terms of public policy, in terms of effect on business, and we got to be able to say no. 
been waiting on somebody to do that. And he did it and the house uh, declined uh, sort of narrowly, like 41 to 48 uh, passed the bill. That's a, that, I'm always looking for a bright moment. That was a bright moment. All right. Governor Asa Hutchinson still wants to do tax reform. Uh, he is looking at potentially bringing the legislature back into a special session. Do we think it'll stay specifically focused on tax reform? If so, what will that be? And if, uh, if it goes further than that, what else might he add to a special session call? Well, everybody be sure to read my Tuesday column uh, on that. And I'll give you a little, uh, a little preview. Uh, my, the question I had, I had was, why in the world would Asa Hutchinson turn around and bring these guys back, these, these people back on October 25th, which is a tentative date he's set? And I, didn't, I don't ask it rhetorically. I direct it to the governor, and I get an answer from him. And he said he's worried about this, and he uses the word craziness for what could ensue. But he says he believes that uh, we can afford uh, some tax relief that the people need it and we need to get it done for calendar 22 and the window is closing and the leadership is with him. So what? I mean, the leadership's with him. He doesn't have yet consensus more broadly, but that uh, he thinks he can get there and he wants to do it. But even he acknowledges he's worried about people. He, he, he seemed to be worried about efforts to suspend the rules to bring up other bills and thus derailing the whole theme of the session. I uh, see more, uh, see possibility for uh, since the since the issue since the issue in the call is uh, state income taxes, uh, any sort of income tax bill or attempted amendment to his bill would be germane. And we've got uh, people who want to do all Leslie Rutledge, Sarah Sanders type stuff, and Trent Garner who put in a bill in the regular session to take it to zero. There, I could see some some effort by these uh, extremists who don't number enough to win things. They just scare some of the garden variety Republicans into going along out of fear of being primaried from the right. That, that was, that's what worries me more. So I, I think there's very little chance that we can have a special session that's clean and uneventful without controversy about that and possibly other issues. By the way, uh, the last I heard, the government, this tax bill is not just a, uh, will not be just a, a tax uh, cut from 5.9 to 5.4 at the top level of income. They're, they're doing some tax reform throughout the entire tax uh, tables uh, that will cut taxes at lower uh, income levels. It will require only a majority vote because it's only a cut. And there is even an idea percolating today to take it from 5.9 to 5.4 with a trigger to take it 4.9 if a revenue stream is strong enough to support that. So sort of mathematical trigger. So that's all fluid, but I think we're all gonna get a chance October 25th to bring uh, the legislature back to town come what may. John Brummett is a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. His columns can be found at ArkansasOnline.com. Each week, he talks with Roby Brock with our partner, Talk Business and Politics. More from this conversation can be found at TalkBusiness.net. And on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, you can find a new report about research from UAMS into long COVID, symptoms and conditions lasting long past the virus's initial infection. 
Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will tell us more tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. and on your schedule if you subscribe to the free Ozarks at Large podcast. During a busy day, it can be hard to make room for even one more thing. So it's a real plus that All Things Considered from NPR News is great for multitaskers. You can confidently add being well-informed to your to-do list and know that you will get it done. Whether you're cleaning out your junk drawer on a quick drive or something else, listen to All Things Considered every weekday afternoon. All Things Considered today from 3 to 6 on KUAF. This is... Ozarks at Large. Southern feminist, queer, and anti-racist organizer and writer Suzanne Farr has chronicled her life's work in a new book titled Transformation Toward a People's Democracy. Ozarks at Large as Jacqueline Froelich spoke with Farr, who lives in Little Rock, to bring us her story. Suzanne Farr was born one of eight siblings during the Great Depression and beginning of World War II in rural Georgia in 1939. On a very small farm, dirt farm, and Hog Mountain, Georgia. Public education came from rural schools, which were very limited. So I lived for the bookmobile that came once a month. She went on to attend a small women's college in Georgia, earning an English degree, then a master's in English from State University of New York in Buffalo. That's where I learned a lot about being a Southerner and learned a lot about race. And then I spent some years at um, Sophie Newcomb College at Tulane. In Louisiana, she almost completed her Ph.D. in American literature, but after a decade of academia and teaching, she took a sharp left turn in the early 1970s into social change groundwork, eventually moving to a remote feminist farm on the Arkansas Ozarks. I would say it was the combination of the assassination of JFK and going to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X Bobby Kennedy, every time you turned around, someone who offered tremendous leadership was being killed. Farr entered social service, directing Washington County's racially diverse Head Start program, co-founding one of the state's first battered women's and children's shelter. She developed elder care programming for VISTA before founding the now historic Women's Project in Little Rock. I would say one of the things that changed my life was organizing activist endeavor as opposed to joining, you know, protests against uh, the Vietnam War. It was uh, creating the first uh, consciousness raising group in New Orleans when I was uh, in school there. And just and that's what led me to dropping out of the academic life and into social change activism. Coming out as lesbian while at Tulane in the 1960s also informed her social change work to include gender and sexual identity issues long before such things were openly discussed, let alone acknowledged and advocated. While at the Women's Project, Farr wrote articles for the quarterly newsletter authoring the revolutionary Women's Watch Care Network, which monitored and documented racist, religious-based, sexist, and anti-gay violence in Arkansas. And that's what led us to monitoring the murders of women in Arkansas. It it was horrifying to do, but it was important to to bear, bear witness to what happened. She also initiated some of the first countervailing activism against rising political theocracy in Arkansas and the nation that emerged in response to the civil rights movement. And so the Women's Project was a small organization. Always had about five five employees, very low budget, where commitment was to majority women of color and also to be both 
heterosexual and les lesbian women working together and that we were going to work on across all of the issues, but in particular, we were committed to the elimination of sexism and racism as inextricably combined. With the Women's Project, FAR traveled widely, leading workshops for schools, businesses, civic organizations, progressive churches and unions on sexism, economic injustice, and homophobia, which led her to author the groundbreaking book Homophobia, A Weapon of Sexism, as well as In the Time of the Right, Reflections on Liberation. In the early 2000s, FAR moved to Tennessee to serve as director of the Highlander Research and Education Center, a historic civil rights institute focused on social and economic justice. There, FAR worked to infuse feminist and LGBTQ identity politics into the center's longstanding civil rights agenda. What did that do for my life? You know, I stepped in the grandest tradition of Highlander, of its work with low-income people and its deep belief that it's the individual and that person's story and that person's reality that is significant and that when those stories are put together and they're, they're discussed and they're analyzed by each other, then, then we, we build a movement. Farr also served as a political strategist, beginning with Jesse Jackson's presidential campaign in 1988 and later as lead organizer for the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force. As such, Farr is among the first civil rights organizers in Arkansas and the U.S. to collaborate with racial and gender-diverse political leaders and activists, especially in the South, where the battle is re-escalating after 40 years as a pioneering multiracial, multigender frontline activist, Far is now reckoning with a backlash unleashed by the Trump administration. I just watched what was happening in terms of the, the slicing and dicing of democracy. The, There's clearly, you know, pathways that were being cut. There were, there were steps that, very shrewd and I think smart organizing steps that were taken by the right for what they, were, they wanted to accomplish, which I think is a theocratic state with, with that is uh, bound in authoritarianism. Farr's new book, Transformation Towards a People's Democracy, brings forward decades of her social change practices and perspectives. She hopes her new book, available at no cost, will encourage readers to actively organize in their communities for a just, equitable, and enlightened society. It's not for people who are in high office, whether within the social change movement or within, within the government. It is for those people who what we call on the ground, that is kind of a, a roadmap what worries far most about extreme right-wing efforts to extinguish voting rights, redistrict to advantage GOP party politics, overturn Roe v. Wade, and quash LGBTQ civil rights is a loss of community connection. I, th I think it's not just worrying about what bills will be passed and what will happen with the Supreme Court. Those are huge. But if we don't have that human connection, we don't have anything to really build on. And I think that that is the place where we have to where we have to work. Due to pandemic shutdowns, free virtual online meeting spaces have emerged, she says, allowing activists to organize in place. And in kind, Far and her publisher have made her new book available online for free. And to be held in the commons because the movement gave me this book. I didn't just create what is in it. It, it came to me through the work with hundreds of people 
nationally and in Arkansas and in Tennessee. Farr is recipient of a Harvey Milk Award, a Miss Foundation Gloria Steinem Award, and Stonewall Foundation Award for National Gay and Lesbian Leadership. At age 82, Suzanne Farr describes herself as a political handywoman. She continues to actively engage in protest politics, lobbying, and meeting with activists from all races, genders, sexual identities, classes, ages, abilities, and cultures to deploy strategies for justice and equality. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The book Transformation Towards a People's Democracy by Suzanne Farr is issued by Virginia Tech Publishing. It's available for purchase or download at no cost through Creative Commons. We have a link posted at OzarksAtLarge.com. Support for KUAF comes from Neutral, carbon-neutral dairy milk from farms that use grazing, nutrient management, and conservation practices to help lower the carbon footprint. Available at Whole Foods Market. More information at eatneutral.com. Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in Springdale presents Seen Through Her Wardrobe, Glimpses of Annabelle Searcy. Annabelle Applegate Searcy was one of many women exercising their independence at the turn of the 20th century. Through journals, letters, photos, and more, her life is pieced together. Shilohmuseum.org or 750-8165 for more information. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Westville, Oklahoma. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. You can listen to KUAF anytime, anywhere with the KUAF app. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, and Daniel Carruth. Conversation between John Brummett and Roby Brock is part of our ongoing partnership with Talk Business and Politics. Our thanks to the Hispanic Women's Organization of Arkansas for including us in their annual conference last week. Additional content for this Tuesday edition of our show provided by the newsroom at KUAR in Little Rock. Our theme written and performed by Daryl Sean from the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for listening.